This is a Crow's Nest podcast. Hi, and welcome to Titanic Talkline. I am Alexia, and I am excited as always, but this week I am especially excited because I have what some might consider to be a childhood icon of mine, someone whose face I've known since I was seven years old, and someone that I've gotten to know pretty well and is very, very cool. It is the one and the only Louis Abernathy, everyone. Hello, hello. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing pretty good. And I just want to say thank you for letting me on your show, finally. I've thank been begging for- to get on here for years. Thank you for coming on. Oh, my God. I wish my show had been going on for years. I am. I mean, I mentioned that I was excited to talk to you, but also because we'd talked a bit at the Titanic Con and outside of just, like, being in the movie, you have a lot of, like, really interesting experience and everything. And, you know, like, I think that some people forget that people involved with the movie don't exist in the vacuum of the movie. Like you do other things? Yeah, I do a lot of other things. I, um, I'm i still marginally employed by the motion picture industry, and hopefully to be gainfully so now that the strike's over. Woo! Um, but yeah, no, I've got a whole life outside of Titanic. I would have to say that the year 2023, I've thought more about Titanic, beginning with the, the Titan thing. Well, I mm. guess... Uh, I got invited to, to, to lecture at Titanic Con in Vegas, where we met. Yep. And um, the, the and then and then the Titan thing happened, and there was a little bit of uh, you know the the, I, the local press. I got a couple of queries from the local press asking me to weigh in on it, which I I kind of waved that off because I you know, I didn't build the damn thing, so it, I wasn't there. I don't know anything about it. Um, it wasn't your joystick, Cameron has some definitive notions and and he's been very verbal about it. But I really I I, I knew PH Narjale knew him, you know, mm. but I uh I you know not well enough to really speak to any of this. So I didn't. I kept my mouth shut. Came to and then there was a Titanic Con and then Joanne's show, RMS Titanic Reflection, which is it was a great thing. We went on for like three hours which I think is some kind of record for, for me talking. And for, anyway. and then you asked me to come on this show, and it's all been a wonderful year. But like I said, this is a big Titanic year for me. I don't think I thought this much about Titanic, you know, in like 10 years. Not 84 years? Not 84 years, no. <laughs> I, I think there's, you know, you, you mentioned the Titan and the Con, which are like, the Titan was international news, you know. Oh, yeah. There was there was no way to ignore that. That wasn't some local story. That wasn't like woman with Titanic convention invents like with Titanic connection invents new pie. Like this was a no no. Ma- this was a massive was a big thing, deal. right? So everyone was talking about Titanic again, and it also coincided with the 25th anniversary of the film. So there were screenings around the world. So between the two of those things, Titanic mania just blew over the world again. Yeah, I wish it would. It did, and I wish it meant more money to me, but it hasn't. So I'm waiting for somebody to, you know, pay me money. 
Uh, I wish this show made money. Otherwise, I would totally pay you. But that's no, you're so sweet. I'm actually talking about, you know, like I, the residuals bumped up a little bit for the movie. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of was hoping, you know, I don't know, I, a commercial, uh, uh, something, you know. The nostalgia is so strong. I've seen two commercials lately that made me think that they should do something like that. They did a commercial where they brought back the cast of Mean Girls, everyone except for um, Rachel McAdams. They got Lindsay Lohan. They got um, every, Amanda Seyfried. Everyone else is whose name I've just forgotten. And they recently did the same thing with Clueless, where they got Alicia Silverstone back to be Cher Horowitz. And so they're really, and they weren't just bringing back the actors. They were like, you're going to be Katie Heron again. You're going to be Gretchen Wieners from Mean Girls. You're going to be that character. And not to say the 1912 portions, but they could totally have you back to, re- <laughs> to redo yeah, your I'll wear, the, I'll wear the bullet hole t-shirt again. <laughs> who, we've, you told me, who has that shirt now? You know who has that shirt, right? Who? I don't remember. You told me that someone owns that t-shirt, right? Like that film I still have it. Oh, you still have that. Some, yeah, I no, I said... wore all my own clothes in the movie. Right. And um, so, you know, Jim just said, I want, I, he, Jim always loved the, you know, I wore the bullet old t shirt with a t shirt <laughs> I wore. And Jim always liked it. So when we were, you know, talking about wardrobe for the movie, he says, I want you to wear that bullet hole t shirt. And oh, there was another t shirt, uh, the, the pussy chicken t shirt. Mm-hmm. Which I, I don't know if it, I don't know how much it can't remember how much it shows up in the movie, but it's like uh, this this chicken and this cat, you know, they're they're like pressed up face to face, and and they're both rolling up their sleeves, and one of them saying pussy, and the other one saying chicken. It's, <laughs> it's hilarious. Anyway, like that. That, uh, uh, that shirt, and then uh, it was all my own clothes except for there was one. Hawaiian shirt that I wore at like a party scene because apparently costume design has not evolved any farther than oh the fat guy put him in a Hawaiian t-shirt um you know so that was uh, that was the only thing that they rented but the cool thing was is they took all my clothes and then after the, the show was over like 20th Century Fox kept my clothes for like 10 years <laughs> they were in the wardrobe department lockup for like 10 years and I kept complaining to people saying, hey, when can I have my damn clothes back? It was I my actual clothes. That to, to. And so I uh, I actually charged them for the rental for 10 years of my costume, which turned out to be a little chunk of change. <laughs> I mean, good, though. That but stuff, I as have, you said, you could have sold. I have all of my, my clothes from the movie, which yes. I hopefully can sell. You should, because... I we ran into a couple people there and there was that oh my gosh there was that person who showed us a person on their phone who has a massive collection of like props and movies so that person you know spent however much money buying these gowns and leo's things and this and that guy had my complete outfit that's what i was saying that guy had one of your outfits he had he had the outfit and and his big thing was he wanted to get on the phone with me and he wanted to know where I got the Russian belt buckle. No, I swear he says, "How did you come by this Russian? It was a Russian military belt buckle that I wore in the movie to hold my I'm a, pants up." I'm astounded he could see it. Yeah, I me too. You know, because I, I got the whole Dunlop disease going on. You know, so uh, not only that, people, but just. I'm not looking at people's belts when I'm watching this movie. <laughs> you got to be careful. People watch all kinds of stuff in movies. It's I know. 
Now that I've said it out loud, I'm kind of like, well. Yeah, no, <laughs> you're going to get letters. I am. I'm going to get somebody barking at me. Well, where did you get the leather, the the belt buckle then? Hmm? Do you have any <laughs> idea? Who, me? Yeah. Oh, are, are you asking for real? No, I think here's what I, the belt buckle thing is sort of a mystery. I would have just said it was something that I've had for a while because I, no, I don't I, really keep track of the provenance of my clothes. I don't either. But I think what it was is in 95 when we went to photograph the Titanic for the movie, we call it the deep dive photography or something. Um, you know, we were making friends with the Russians who aren't, you know, it's a, it's a poor country. Okay, mm -hmm. there I said it. Anyway, uh, so what? Especially happened? in the 90s when there was a much bigger economic differential. Oh, yeah. So, you know, being friends with the Russians, you you know, they would often trade you something personal of theirs. You know what I mean? So we're always swapping, you know, T-shirts or, you know, stuff, you know, jackets. And then I, I wound up with a Russian bell. But I think that's cool. I mean, there's no, a... it's totally cool. Yeah. I got a Russian shirt. I got, you know, the striped Navy shirt. It's just pretty cool. That's how you end up with really cool stuff. I found out recently, and I should have makes so much sense to me that apparently at roller derby tournaments there are people that will do jersey swaps where it's just like i thought you played cool and you played cool and then you just switch jerseys with someone and then yeah it's the same concept where it's like cool i have this thing that why would i have a jersey from the middle of a team in michigan i've never been to fucking michigan like but i met a person who's from the middle of michigan it's i like that concept i think it's really it's really personal and uh, it it's cool to buy something off someone and to support a tradesman but i really like I am a personal big fan of like personal trades. I think I'd like that. That's the mystery of the belt buckle, I think. You think. And now now this guy knows that all he needs to do is um go on a deep dive mission with Russian people and befriend <laughs> one enough where that, that man feels comfortable enough to give him his belt. Uh, I think that ship has sailed. Pun intended. Yeah. I'm I'm 12. I'm always bringing up stupid puns, but um, <laughs> when so the film came out in 97 and photography started just, you know, ideas and all that stuff started a couple of years beforehand. But you had a personal interest in the Titanic way before the movie, right? Oh, yeah. No, it was. Um, well, <laughs> try to keep this as brief as possible. No, I my like long stories. My stepfather, before he became my stepfather, I think he had a lifelong love affair with my mother. I mean, you know, he was an older gentleman. But he, I think he fell in love with my mom back when, you know, my mom and dad were still married and I was just a little tyke because we met him when he was teaching at uh, OU, University of Oklahoma, up there in Norman. And that's my dad was working on his master's there, or no, I'm sorry, his PhD. Okay, I've been to Norman uh, actually. I have to. You're both very sad. Anyway, so um, the uh, uh, the man's name was Jack Grant. Oh, oh, my 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 stepfather was a uh, what do you call geologist by trade. And the interesting thing about him was he was a ge he got he learned geology from his father who was a geologist, who learned it from his father. Back, this goes back to the days where, you know, it's like an apprenticeship. Yeah. You know, And I never knew you could be a scientist through an apprenticeship, but apparently he was. Back anyway, in the day. And then he went to work for Conoco, and he was, he was great at finding oil. 
and he wound up working for this guy named Jack Grimm. And Jack Grimm was, uh, you know, he made a lot of money in the oil business, and then he started looking uh, for all kinds of things. He tried to find uh, Bigfoot. He put a bounty on Bigfoot, a photo bounty. Uh, he, he, he tried to find the Loch Ness Monster. He was uh, into a lot. Anyway, uh, the, 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 uh, the Ark, that was, the, I think, the pinnacle of all of his, was he was looking for the uh, Noah's Ark. Anyway, at one point he was going to find the Titanic, and I, he he, uh, uh, he funded two expeditions to look for the Titanic, and I forget what years those were, but they were a couple of years before Ballard actually wound up discovering the thing. Anyway, before that, they were going back to like the late sixties, whatever. I don't know. I couldn't have been more than ten or twelve. Mm-hmm. Jack Grimm came by, Uncle Jack, came by with, uh, you know, my stepfather and uh, my stepfather-to-be, actually, and, and they gave, gave me this book, uh, Night to Remember. And, I, and it was the first book that I remember as a kid reading cover to cover, like in one weekend. You know, I read the whole damn thing, you know. And, uh, and then I became that annoying kid that was like, I kept rereading it and stopping people on the street, you know. Did you know the Titanic was 880 feet, half feet long? And, you know, and it just uh, all it took two and a half hours, two hours and 40 minutes to think. I just, you know, people that you didn't, anything you didn't want to know about the Titanic, I would just stop <laughs> you and tell you all about. <laughs> anyway, uh, I remember, and I, I didn't remember this uh, uh, by the time I got around to making the movie. But when I was a kid, my grandmother, who was a teacher, made me write down, you know, what do you want to accomplish, young man? And it was like, write down 10 things you want to accomplish. And I think I only got like four things on the list, and the rest of them were squiggles you couldn't read. You know how you try to get past the teacher? Yep. (laughs) And one of them was go to, or two, one of them was go to the Titanic, Mm -hmm. and the other one was make a Titanic movie. And I had completely forgotten that these were life goals of mine when I was like 10 or 12. That's incredible. And so I think, um, you know, Ballard discovered it in, uh, what, 84? 84, 85 or something. 84, 85. And, you know, I was I, I was just graduating from USC cinema school. And I and. and Right before Ballard, not right before, but for a few years before Ballard discovered it, I kept saying, you know, now's the time to do a Titanic remake. Let's do it. Uh, they they made Raise the Titanic, which was absolutely horrible. Uh, and so nobody really wanted to do a Titanic movie. And I thought, aha, now that they found the Titanic thing, you know, attitudes will change. Well, they didn't. Well, I ran, I made acquaintance with uh, James Cameron. We became fast friends. And, uh, you know, he said, hey, I want to do a Titanic movie. And I said, well, I want to do a Titanic movie. So we started to collaborate on a Titanic movie. And I don't know when that was. That would have been early 90s, maybe 91, 92. And, you know, it goes back and forth and back and forth until Jim finally got off his ass and started seriously making a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, But um, that's how that all came about. Pretty boring stuff. (laughs) I don't think it's boring. I think that, you know, I've talked about it a little bit before where it's sort of like, 
you know, the movie came out in 97. That's when it, it hit the world. And oh, that's yeah. when sort of everyone saw it. But it was a thing and an idea for many people for many years, long before it was manifested. You know, an idea starts from somewhere. I think the idea I brought up was um, his name is Satoshi Tajiri. He's, this is the man that made Pokemon, um, the big Pokemon franchise. And it was like, I don't remember. That came out in 96. But I'm betting you the first time that man ever thought of Pikachu was long before 1996. You know, you start with an idea. Probably. Yeah, you come up with something and it's sort of like, you know, how long do you think he had that like little yellow mouse bouncing around in his brain before he was like, I'm going to make a thing. And, you know, it was the same way for the movie, too. It's like where it started with an idea somewhere, somehow, a long time ago. Usually, I, I'm going to agree with you. I, I don't know. I'm trying to think offhand of movies where, you know, hey, they had the idea and boom, you know, they made them, they were in production next week. That sounds like a made for TV movie. Thing. I was going to say, that's every Lifetime movie and all Disney live action adaptations. There you go. <laughs> and the, it, it, it shows. And there's nothing wrong with it. I think that, you know, cheap entertainment is not bad entertainment. Cheap entertainment can be good entertainment. Not every movie can or should be a multi-million dollar blockbuster. We'd be waiting a million years for movies if there weren't, you know, these straight to TV things that just kind of occupy your time or that, you know, I know friends that play like lifetime holiday movie bingo, not because they know these movies are good, but because they know that they're bad. You are talking, I, (laughs) I am a bad movie aficionado. See, And and I think that's good. (laughs) Well, I always, like I would tell my film students, it's kind of like, um, I can teach you a lot of things looking at good movies. But right. I can teach you great things if we look at crappy movies. <laughs> oh, that's you know, interesting. And well, I liken it to think of yourself as a NTSB inspector after a plane crash. You mm. know, why did this movie fail? You mm-hmm. know, was it script, direction, performances? What what was it? Was it under budgeted? Was it over budgeted? I used to say <clears throat> two examples, real quick. Escape from New York okay. is my classic example of an underproduced movie. That's a movie whose idea is bigger than its budget. Conversely, like that. Escape from L.A. is a movie where the budget is way too big for the for the concept. You know, I and I often said, you know, Carpenter just a little bit less money. You know, we might have gotten a stronger picture out of that sequel. But those are the, the counterpoint, you know, just two things from watching. One's a great movie and one's kind of a, eh, you know. Sure. Um, my boyfriend and I went to go see the Marvels yesterday. That's the new. Oh, um, yeah. How was it? It was cute. It was okay. It wasn't, it wasn't trash that everyone was talking about, but I think it had a few of those qualities about it. I think it was a little overproduced. I think it had a little too much money. Marvel as a whole does too, where it's sort of like the, we have so much money, we can do whatever we want. And in when I say overproduced in this one, it's sort of like every Marvel movie has to up the stakes to the point where the stakes just seem continually impossible. And that's what this one did, where it's sort of like you had all this money, you had a, a roster of talent from the absolutely smoking hot Brie Larson to you know just everybody that you can name off this is amazing but you just you have so much good that you end up putting out something that's kind of it's like uh 
with all these actors and all their performances and Samuel L. Jackson, Samuel L. Jacksoning all over the place, you know, you could have gotten a lot, but you used too much and got too little. Yeah, I, you know, that seems to be the trend of the Marvel. I wish I could get excited about Marvel movies. I was not a comic book person growing up. And, and so I, uh, um, I gotta be honest. You know what I think is a great comic book movie? Tell me. The Rocketeer. Writing that down. Ah, yeah, I gotta check this movie out. It's considered a Disney movie back from at night, mid 90s sometimes. It's really, I think it, it, uh, it's Art Deco. It's old Hollywood. It's set in the 30s. It's good stuff. Um, I think that's a great example of a, of a comic book movie. I'm trying to think of, um, it seems like most of the comic, and, and honestly, you're talking about like a, the archetypal comic book story. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, they, it seems like they can't break out of the pattern. Yes. You know, or the, and, and, and so they're always telling the same story over and over again and changing the costumes or the, you know, and anytime they try to mess with the plot or the story, it, it fails miserably. Mm-hmm. You know, because when you want, you want to see the good guy beat the bad guy, you know, and the, the evil, you know. So, um, I don't, to my mind, I think that the whole comic book thing, this includes Marvel and other, it's sort of a, it's got to go back to being a secular thing, you know? I agree. Like, it, you know, let's give it a rest for a few years and then let's see if we can get back into it, you know? When I, I it, it, it just, uh, I feel like I have Marvel shoved down my throat like every two months. It's everywhere. And I can't even keep up. We got so many no, new Marvel no characters. I can't keep up with the universe. No, it's it's way too much. And I think that one thing I really like about my personal favorite, like comic book to visual adaptation, um, my personal favorite is the animated Harley Quinn TV show. That's on HBO. It's made for adults. It's super fun. And what I like about that one is that because it's a TV show, it can be way more experimental. There's an episode where Harley Quinn goes into Batman's head and therapizes him through the death of his parents. And it's wow. actually really <laughs> emotional. Like, you don't watch it and giggle. You're kind of like, oh, my heart. It breaks. Um, and it's really well done. And it's because it gets a little experimental and it gets silly. And it's like, what if Harley Quinn tried to be a good person? What if Joker got, like, really hit in the head and turned into a suburban dad? Like, it's insane. It's ridiculous. And it has that comic spirit of being insane and ridiculous. And it works for that. But it's sort of like if Marvel tried to do that, it wouldn't work. Yeah. It just wouldn't. You mean they're like a live action thing. Yeah. Well, even if they went animated, it's sort of like their brand is so, as you discussed, it's like good always triumphs. It's not at, even when it's gray, it's not really that gray. It's, it's a very light shade of beautiful gray. Um, But it doesn't it just doesn't allow for that experimentation you know exactly what you're going to get with it which is nice but it's not necessarily what i want to see out of a multi-billion dollar movie like can't you show me multi-billion are we there now i don't know i don't care i haven't been paying attention it might be but still it's sort of like it's getting close oh it really is I, you know, that's going to be a record. It might be a, a one of these Avatar sequels that I have to admit I am not excited about. I'm sorry to James Cameron, but I did not like the first one. I did not see the second one. 
I find the mocap tech still to be a little too uncanny valley. It makes me uncomfortable. That's just me. I'm like, ah, I can't watch a whole movie of these people talking. People. It's kind of scary. That's yeah. me, though. I'm a little weird. Yeah, uh, Avatar is, uh, you like it, you don't like it. You know, I've had a number of people, you know, come up to me and say, oh, I love James Cameron, I don't like Avatar. And I'll say, I'll be sure to tell him. <laughs> I'm sure that he's going to lose lots. Of- yeah, he, he, they make a ton of money, so I don't think he's going to be terribly upset. It'll be our secret. Okay. I have a very weird question that I bet the answer is no to, but like whenever people say those kinds of things where it's sort of like definitely in quote unquote, like intended for James Cameron, sort of like, oh, tell him this, or I never really liked that. Or what do you think people want your, your reaction to be? Cause they're talking to you. Well, I find that weird. Like if I had a famous friend and people just kept coming up to me and be going like, you know, you should really tell Naomi Watts that I don't like her hair color. It'd be like, I'm what? <laughs> I don't know you. It, it, I, I, you, um, I think that this is their way of getting something off their chest, as opposed <laughs> to them really thinking that I, that, you know, it, it's like this is. This is a proxy of James Cameron's that I can mm. tell him what I really think. I think there's more in place there than people actually thinking I'm going to call up Jim and say, hey, do you know what Joe Blow thinks? <laughs> you know, um, the, uh, you know, and, and, like and, and conversely, I mean, mm. I don't call him up every time, you know, I, I, there are, more people, I think, I've never really done a tally, but there are more people that are just like, oh, I fucking love that movie, you know? Uh, cool. You know, a lot of people are excited about it. I mean, people are always telling me to tell Jim how much they love Titanic. And uh, uh, I even had somebody stop me, at, this was recently, like within the last couple of years, and say, you know, oh, I'm a huge fan of True Lies. And I go, oh, what'd you think of Titanic? Hadn't seen, you know? The reason I asked is because it just feels like, and I think that while we were at the con, I saw one of those react like that a brief interaction where someone was like made a comment, and I just it just made me think where it's sort of like, you know, that Lewis is a person, right? Like it, to, to, it's weird because it feels like they're bypassing your personhood. I think that's it. Just makes me uncomfortable as an interaction because it's sort of you're your own individual. You know, if you have a chance to meet James Cameron, you can ask him whatever you like. But if you have a chance to meet whomever who's in front of you you should talk to them i don't know maybe i'm reading too much into well, it I, again it's you know it, it you quit being a person and become a proxy you know i become you know oh you're friends with james cameron tell him that i said oh yeah i'll make that happen immediately the uh but i again there's you know there's james cameron and then there's jim cameron my friend okay right. and jim cameron is is honestly you know, other than this other persona as a filmmaker, he's a very genuine down to earth guy. And um it's unfortunate that he doesn't project that very often. Mm-hmm. You know, he's always projecting James Cameron filmmaker, his brand, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I know him kind of differently as a as a human. Yeah. So, you know, um and that's how we relate. Really, because I'm not on his level as a filmmaker. He didn't call me up to ask my questions about shots or, you know, uh, uh, occasionally script 
problem, but you know, not very often anymore. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, you know, that we relate still as friends. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I think it's just like people. It's like, oh, this is my one chance to be heard by James Cameron. I'm going to tell this guy, and maybe Jim hears it. It's not like a rational thing. It's just sure. like a, uh, you know, a brush with greatness. If That's I fair. Can be so bold as to say that. No, I think that you're right. I I guess it never occurred to me because I'm again I'm an unusual person. I see the world in different ways, and it's sort of like I look at you. I'm like you're not James Cameron. I'm not going to talk to you like you are because because you're yeah. not in the same way that I, I I play again. I play roller derby, and I happen to be on a team with some people that are in the roller derby world, internationally famous. And it's sort of like if people talk to me that way, I'd be really mad if they're like. Oh my gosh, you're on the Hail Marys. I love Peace War so much. It'd be like, great, fly to Texas and tell her. Can I just like go about my day? Yeah, I think it's so cool you're in roller derby. <laughs> it's very fun. I love it. It's dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It's dangerous. You'll have to come watch sometime because you're you're in Texas. So I'm in Texas, up in Denton. I can come down. Yeah, it'll be a fun time. Yeah, no, I would like that. I'd like that. I'd like to come to roller derby. I, it's you know it's been years. I used to watch it on TV when I was a kid. Nice, yeah. It's been a while. It's it's a little different now, but I I've I still think that like it holds the spirit pretty well. It's still fast. It's still on skates. It's still rough. It's still you know, it's still what it was. We have more rules now, and it's less spectacle and more sport. So you know things change. People things are allowed to change. Yeah. Um But anyway, I've deviated way too far, but. I had an actual question, and it was pseudo-related to the movie. Oh, I don't remember. Oh, I'll just ask a completely unrelated question. What are you mentioned that you have a lot to learn from bad movies? And we went over like a couple points, but like, what besides those two examples? Like, pick a random like one of your favorite bad movies to discuss, and like, what are some of the top three things that you can learn by looking at you know, quote unquote, quote unquote, bad media? Oh well, um. There's, okay, like, sometimes I, for my class, I would screen, you know, uh, uh, a bad movie, let's say. And then we would go uh, go over to the local coffee shop, bar, whatever, you know, off off the clock. Sure. And I would say, you know, you know, I'd take a beat. Why do you make us watch that crap? <laughs> And I go, well, how would you fix it? I mean, what would be? And, you know, it, if you can get the discussion started, you know, they would say, well, you know that scene where the guy did the thing? It's like, I don't know why he couldn't have done this other thing that makes more sense and propels the story forward. And I go, bingo. Nice. Now think of yourself and you're reading the script and you're thinking, you know, it's like, how do you make the script better? How do you make the story better? You know, and, and, and once you develop that type of thinking, which I... I think you can get, you know, you know, oh, this is crap. How would I have fixed this? Mm-hmm. As opposed to this is, you know, the, the Godfather. What can I learn from watching the Godfather? Or, you know, Jaws, you know, it was, I mean, I think of those as near perfect movies, you know, so it, it's not a very good teaching. You know, this mm-hmm. is what you should aspire to do, you know. Uh, actually, no, you should just aspire to being able to tell good stories. And I think just knowing, A, the difference between a good story and a bad story, and that's more of a journey than you might know, 
But, uh, yes. you know, the, if you can develop a, a, a tool for, you know, just like, oh, this would be a little more, you know, you know, this would make the character stronger. This would make the story stronger if they may, if this happened, as opposed to lazy writing, which is right. what I, you know, um, did that answer your question? It does. It made me think of something. And it also, so I've never made a film. I've never been involved in film production. I studied English and writing in, in school. Um, that's sort of my involvement. You're missing nothing. <laughs> All that was just to contextualize. Like, I I like this YouTube channel called Cinema Therapy. I talk about them a lot. It's a therapist. I've been on, I love that channel. Um, they just did one on Brother Bear, which is a Disney film that is admittedly not my favorite. I don't love it. And one of the reasons I didn't like it is because there's this scene that instead of having dialogue, it's just a Phil Collins song. And I thought when I first saw it, I was like, well, this is ridiculous and cheesy. And then I watched this discussion where they actually talked, I believe his name is Aaron Pierce, who is one of the uh, the co-producers of the movie. And he was talking about how in initial test screenings, they had dialogue in the scene that I was talking about, which is where, you know, the main character confesses to this tiny bear that he killed, I think, his mom. And he was like, we had dialogue. And people were like, this is too on the nose. This is a Disney movie. It is heartbreaking. There is not a good way to recapture the tone from that level of discussion. So they added um, the music on top of it. And Hearing the explanation made me appreciate why it was done. But if I'd only just seen it and moved on with it, I always thought it was stupid. And that's a personal choice. And I bring that up not to say that Brother Bear is a bad film you should all learn from. But it was just sort of like, I didn't like it and I didn't think it was a good movie. So I didn't really consider it too much until, you know, someone pointed out, you know, that all these choices are made for reasons that you may not even consider. And that's what makes the scene either work or not work, what makes the movie good or not good, and also what makes it resonate with its audience, which in this case was a kid's film, whereas if it was an adult's film, they probably would have been like, yeah, leave the dialogue in, make them cry. Yeah, no, it's um, on the nose is a real problem. <clears throat> you know, I'm, I, you know uh, film therapy, I think they do a thing where they talk about shoe leather, what we call about shoe leather in hmm. the... You know, and, and it's just like everybody's motivations don't always have to be articulated all the goddamn time. Right. You know, um, and we always use the, the, the example I use is, uh, you know, James Bond movies. You know, the bad guy captures James Bond. He's about to torture him to death or kill him or whatever. But first, he reveals his plan in its entirety. Yes. So that when James Bond escapes, you know, he can thwart the plan. Um, you were talking, I haven't that. seen this bear movie, but <laughs> I, I've noticed there's a ten, they, they really are. There's a tendency, particularly dealing with the traumatic event of the character. There is a there's a recent thing to be on the nose or to show every excruciating moment. And yeah. I used to and I said, you know, go back and look how they handle with Bambi's mother's death mm -hmm. in the original Bambi. Okay. Or if you really want to, you know, get the guys, make them sit through Old Yeller. You know, the ending of Old Yeller. No. <laughs> Which is, now that's tragic. I, I won't watch that movie anymore. I saw it once just to be able to see, like, I saw Old Yeller and I was like, I will never watch that movie again. And I don't it, have it's to. It's like, 
It's like Schindler's List. You can only watch it one time. Oh, oh yeah, no, you have a quota on that film, and when it is yeah. reached, you're like, bye bye. <laughs> Glad I saw it, but that's it. Sophie's no, I... Choice, Schindler's oh, List, Old Yeller. That's a one and done. There's a movie called um, it's called Sarah's Key. It's not like a famous movie, and I don't think it got a lot of traction. That's a one and done. Or that one made me sob hysterically. The acting performance of devastation by this young girl. Um, this is uh, the story is kind of told in the present and the past of when the Germans invaded France, and this is a young Jewish girl and her family. And Uh-oh. yeah, she she survives. Her family does not. You know, terrible spoilers. And when she finds out, there's the scene where she just lets out this horrible cry, this scream, and in an airport, by the way. I started crying like a baby. I'd been yeah. fine up until that point, but all of a sudden it was just like, ah! <laughs> and yeah, I never need to watch that movie again. It was good, but I'm like, nope, nope. Quota reached. We're done. Finito. <laughs> Message received. But that's not the case. Like for a lot of tragic films, I, I do find that to be the case. Some, you know, I, I see it and I, I don't need to see it again. Uh, people come back to Titanic so much. I know. Even though it ends in it ends in like bittersweet tragedy but i'm like the the emphasis is on the tragedy there it's it's very sad that was <laughs> there's a funny story about that <clears throat> we uh we had, we had been screening the movie before the release you know we have test screening right and and then they take the audience members and they and they give them like forms to fill out right after watching the movie well that's just it's Smart in a way I can't describe. But anyway. Yeah, you can't even leave until you fill out that form. Right, exactly. <laughs> they don't let you. No purging yourself until, yeah, no relieving yourself. Oh, it's a three-hour movie, too bad. Fill out the form first. Yep. And and in it, they ask all kinds of questions. But, you know, the, the two kind of pertinent ones are, what is your favorite part of the movie and what is your least favorite part of the movie? Mm-hmm. And Cameron made me sit down and, and read like a thousand of these fucking things, you know, for just to torture me. Anyway, but uh, it was like everybody's least favorite part of the movie. See if you can guess, you know. The door. Just, Not the door. Jack dies. Yeah. You know, that Jack dies, you know. And, and, and <clears throat> so the, the studio executives are pointing this and saying, is there any way he can live? No. You know, yes, I know. You're just like you guys. Of course, it's their least favorite part of the movie. You know, right. it's like, but if we take it out, it's not the same movie. No, it's a know? different fucking movie altogether, it's and that. that's important. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's part of what makes the movie work. I think is Somebody, his loss. A film critic. I'm trying to remember. It was maybe a film. A friend, a friend of mine who's actually you know just critical of film. I can't okay. remember who said it. But two movies came out that year that, and, and until then, there had been like this tragedy free ride in Hollywood. Like we, all we did were, you know, feel good movies with feel good endings and, uh, Sling Blade and Titanic reintroduced Sling the public Blade. to tragedy. And, and they were both wildly successful. Yeah. It, I think that you can't shy away from trying like people go to see movies to feel all kinds of things not just happy well you know it's like and what is 
you know, what is happy? You know, what's a happy ending? Right, that's you so know? subjective. It, it really kind subjective. of is at some level. You know, the good guys catch the bad guys. Okay, happy, justice is done. Um, well, we were just talking about how that becomes problematic because, you know, we have how many Marvel movies, TV shows, and spinoffs and what have you that have the same formula. We were just talking about this. It's been a now over one decade long phenomena of the same story. Well, I, I think mostly for, I agree. And, you know, but I get what, what bothers me. It is that that seems to be like the comic book thing, but when it bleeds over into other genres, like I remember when horror films and science fiction films often had, you know, you know, horrible or or ambiguity in, 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 in certainly in the case of science fiction films, you know, there was a little ambiguity there with regard to the ending, mm-hmm. you know, like the little question mark, you know, I the original blob. They sent, you know, the, the blob, they they freeze it and then they box it up and they send it to the Arctic. And it's like, ha, we solved that problem. Right. You know, with a little. Did they? Because the block, you know, it turns into a little question mark at the end. Yeah, you get and the invisible so Daniel. Myself, now we've got global warming. We should revisit the blob, right? Oh yeah, because it's like thawing out up there. It's true. <laughs> but is it like a lot of science fiction movies, a lot of horror films did not have happy ending, right, you or know? really resolution at all in many cases. Yeah, and it, it, I think it, it'd be nice to see that pendulum swing back a little bit. I agree. I mean, I I am the kind of person that does like neatly tied up things most of the time, but I am, you know, there are certain things where the ambiguity works really, really well. And I think that, for example, like people still debate about Inception, the very end of Inception Inception. with the the tippily top. Um, There's a ragey debate about that. And coming back to to your, your, this famous film, there's a big racket still about whether uh, Old Rose is dead or sleeping. Still, there are people that like that smidgen of ambiguity. Couldn't couldn't tell you. <laughs> I, I honestly, I you know the way it was written. You know, I mean, we shot like I don't know a dozen separate endings. Jesus, you know what I mean, a dozen might be a little hyperbole, but there were a number of you know we shot all kinds of stuff for to cut together an ending. Mm-hmm. And you know, I like you. It's just ambiguous. There was enough ambiguity in the in the ending as it stands. Is did she die? Is she dreaming? Mm-hmm. You know. And any time that the audience member themselves can kind of fill in the blank, you know, I think that makes sometimes for a much stronger picture. You know, I used to, you know, Star Wars. You know, George Lucas was brilliant when he invented the Force. You know, right. because you know, for some people, the force is like God and religion. And for other people, it's like cosmic karma or some kind of, you know, a literal force in the universe, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so anytime the audience, you know, individually can kind of fill in the blanks for themselves, I think you, you come up with a, a more of a relationship between the audience member and the picture. And that's exactly it. That's the point that I was just coming to my own brain. I was like, well, that lets you feel connected to the movie or the TV show because you get to input your own your own spin on it. Like the Inception thing, if you want to view it optimistically, it's like, yeah, that top falls right over. He is home. It's real. 
And if you want to be a little bit on the pessimistic side, it's like, well, maybe he's still dreaming. You never know. You never know. You never know. And it lets you have that dialogue with yourself. Whereas if it's like they show the top falling over, you're like, oh, all right. He's Make home. a change with your mood. You know, <laughs> right, I'm in a good like, mood. It's a happy ending. Ah, that's pimp. important. Well, that's what lets people like explore why they like movies so much. It's like, I like it because it makes me feel sad or it makes me feel happy or because that joke was really funny. I mean, <laughs> I have to give it to the Marvels. There is one joke that made me laugh so loudly that I think that the entire theater was offended, but it wasn't even that funny. It's just the way that it was timed and and seemed in. It was like, that worked. Everything about that joke lined up and timed itself where it was like, that fucking worked. Sorry to they the put other it in there for people. you. I think they did. They just followed me around and were like, that joke's going like, to land with that fucking there's, lunatic. There's stuff that delights me in movies all the time. Turning of phrases a little aside, you know, sometimes just a quirky look from a character and I go, you know what, they put that in there for me, you know? It's those little attention to detail-y things that, you know, they matter and they enrich the experience and that's it's so important to building the world because, you know, you can use really cool cg and everything and that's fine and everything but my favorite joke in the marvels had nothing to do with cg it was physical comedy i mean and that's the thing it didn't need everything you know that happened there there's there's a glitch in the system where all these three marvel people keep switching places with each other and for a second it looks like one of the vulnerable ones is going to get hit then a switch happens and it's brie larson and they're like oh it's okay it's just carol she just got blasted in the face she's like it's fine it's fine to me that's physical comedy on a level that even if she wasn't a superhero would have been kind of funny um and it had nothing to do with the costume she was wearing an explosion in the background none of that crazy stuff it was just like a grounded funny moment and i think those are the ones that matter you know people remember a lot of stuff from titanic but you know there's that silly the, the the couple of iconic scenes are just kind of physical there's you know i'm the king of the world which is a little silly, but it's just, it's two people celebrating a moment. It's not actually about the scenery. It's not actually about where they are in that moment. It's about the feeling of the moment. I always, and, I always love the practice swing. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, when she's going to cut the handcuffs with the, with the big heavy axe. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and Jack is like, Leo stood there going, well, hey, take a practice swing. And oh of course God. she does and misses it by about a foot and a half. And he's like, okay, let's do this for real. Was that her really like hacking at a wardrobe? Because that's hard to fake, I think. I, you know, I'm... I, I, it looked real to me because I can't aim I, either, so... I mean, I, clearly it's not real, it's fake. No, but I no, mean, no, no. It's, you know, I don't know if she was like if if the whole wardrobe was rigged or if she had if she was good enough that she could hit the same bad spot every time i i wasn't there i don't know the mechanics that's that. fair i only it wondered was, about that. it was awesome <laughs> it's a great scene and i only wondered about that because i'm like if if that was real that's my level of aim because i i would not be able to hit the same place with an axe i that's too unwieldy for me there's yeah. no way there's this bunch of people on TikTok because every, there's everything on TikTok where people just like split wood. And I'm like, I'm impressed because that involves hitting the same place twice. It's, it's yeah, never going to happen. Yeah, they've been splitting wood their whole lives. Yeah, you it's know, true. They, they, they've been waiting for TikTok. 
Yeah, but I've been drinking water my whole life, and I still manage to cough on it at least fucking daily. So. Oh, trust me, those people at Splitwood hurt themselves, miss. That's fair. Know, bounce axes into their crotch. And oh, you God. know that when that happens, they're like going, oh, God, why wasn't somebody filming me? I could get like a million views for this. But... <laughs> I do like that America's uh, Funniest Videos has basically just gone onto the internet now. It's just YouTube and TikTok. I don't have yeah. either of them, but somehow I see it all. Yeah, no, I I, I thought about rigging the house with it, but my wife wouldn't allow it. But the cat <laughs> does something crazy, like at least once a day, you know. And then I see these other cat videos. I'm like going six million views, right? So that's some coin. I know. I was so it happens the same around here. It's like for the most part, the cat, the cat, the dogs aren't that interesting. But the other day, Princess tried to catch a fly, and in doing so, just straight ran into the siding of the house, just like a cartoon. It's like, why wasn't I filming that? That was hilarious. But she doesn't do that often enough where I'm like, here we go. I know. The cat usually is sleeping. Yeah, basically. I'm like, where are these dogs? Got it. It's adorable, but that's not monetized content, I don't think. That's all right. It's hard to, to damn, you sleep. get a job, cat. Get more performative. That's the thing. I need one. Of, I need one of these dogs to start getting really interested in being on the camera because these two both hate the camera. You bring a camera out to take a photo, and they know. I don't know how they know. They know. The cat knows. The cat knows. The cat hates it. Yeah, these two hate it. If you try to take a selfie, they're like, uh, "I don't want to be part of this." Legit. It's how can I get out of this? It's like you can't. I own you. Yeah. Yeah, they're animals. They're like luddites. It's like eh, we don't like technology. No, they're also like Ublek, where it's like somehow you were liquid and solid, and I don't understand. <laughs> absolutely irresponsible mess of an animal. But it's fine. Well, this year you mentioned was big on Titanic stuff, but what have you got going, anything going on upcoming, or any projects that, like, personal projects you're working on? I have nothing. I tell everybody out there in listener land, I need a job. Um, no, it's been... Uh, uh, had a TV show, looked like it was going to get greenlit, and then uh, COVID hit, and that I'm going back like three, four years now. Yeah. And you know, when COVID hit, there's a little shakeup in the movie industry. It's not uh, often reported, but there was a a big downturn, and and uh, you know, even though uh, subscription services saw a boom, the movie business, you know, saw it's kind of a downturn. Theater going. Mm-hmm. So it was a big shakeup, and it uh, in the movie business. Makes so uh, my thing didn't make the cut. And then coming out of the pandemic, I started to get something back up on legs. And uh, this was a low budget movie. And then bang the strikes, the writer yeah. strike, and then the subsequent actor strike. And they went long enough. And the studios again, they used this as an opportunity to clean house. And the lady that was fostering my thing, she didn't make the cut. Musical chairs, and she didn't have a chair when it was over. She's, oh. you know, so I'm waiting for her maybe to find another home or for me to find another home on my own for the project. I've been taking a, you know, it, it's the model has changed. Everything since I got in the movie business has changed on the business landscape side of things. Mm-hmm. And so I'm running to keep up. And so I think, um, you know, I may try some, you know, what I consider non-conventional things. But one of my former students says, well, why don't you just put it up on the blacklist? Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I may try that. 
you know, because I've got like uh, two screenplays and a TV show that I need to unload. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'm working with uh, uh, a partner on, uh, oh, we have two movies that I'm writing right now with nice. uh, a friend. So I don't know. It might be all over for me at this point, and I just don't realize it. But I'm going to keep chugging along just like I'm employed. I think that that's important, though. I I mean, this sounds like I'm just being like, oh, my God, no, yes, man. It's like, I'm not. I think that that is important. You know, it's it's easy to to give up. I, I've talked about it a little bit, but it's like I have depression and when when it gets really bad for me, it's really easy to just think like, well, I could just stop and it would be easier. Like if I, for example, if I stop this podcast, I don't have to contact people all the time and get rejected for interviews and I don't have to constantly reach out to people and it wouldn't take up my time. It's easy to fall into that spiral of if I quit this, things would be easier. And I think that it takes more energy and courage honestly to continue going in the face of failure because truthfully it is easier to just give up it, it is it frees up all that time in your day it frees up all that space in your brain I, and you feel I, better. Couldn't, I couldn't agree more I think there's been a couple of times in my life when I I've actually tried to quit give up like you say um I too I I, I too have struggled with depression I don't know of a creative person who doesn't right I mean, I just, you know, and uh, I mean, a truly creative person. Uh, and I'm not going to mention any names, but, you know, you can guess some people that I know very intimately struggle with depression and all sorts of, of, of things. It, you know, the, you know, it's, it's, it's not uncommon for people in, in our business, creative types, to struggle with depression, drug and alcohol abuse. Mm-hmm. mental illness and god knows i've had all of these things in my life and uh but but quitting doesn't really solve the problem no you know and i think having a creative outlet you know maybe changing your creative outlet now that's something that i would entertain i mean mm-hmm. if i knew how to make a living at like i mean i love photography i love art but uh an amateur magician and i'm dying are you ready for this my career plans in, in college was uh, I quit the movie business and become a cruise ship magician. I kid you not. Honestly, and, that sounds amazing. And I have genuinely considered also working on a cruise ship because I like the open ocean. So, like, that's not a crazy, no, a crazy talk movie. Talk to anyone who's done it, though. Oh, no, I know. I know that it's not a great gig. But, like, when you tell it to me, I'm kind of like, well, I mean, it sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Oh, my God. The horror story. <laughs> The horror stories of working on a cruise, like no matter what your position. Yeah. It's just like, I cannot, it, it seems like speaking of bravery, it seems like you need to be a very strong and brave person to oh, yeah. work on a cruise ship and not because you're on the ocean, but because you're on a cruise ship. Yeah. Uh, it, it's like a Petri dish of disease at sea. And people, even if they yeah. weren't diseased, <laughs> they're just people. <laughs> but I'm, I am glad that you're, you're keeping on because I think that's important. Well, it's I important. actually have good ideas for, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's like, I'll sit there and I say, okay, this is it. I'm done. And then, you know, like the next day, it's like, oh, you know what we need now is a blank movie. You know, um, I think my background is really, I went to the 
USC, but I went to the producers program, Peter Stark mm-hmm. producing program. So I'm like a guy that reads marketing reports. You, uh, believe me, it's boring as hell. But I, <laughs> uh, you know, also it, it immediately puts me at loggerheads with studio executives. Because sure. they, they go, well, why do you think this is? Oh, well, this marketing report shows that, you know. And then they're just like, it's. of course, I can tell from their expression, it's something that not only have they not read, they don't even know, you know, like, where did this come from? You know? From the internet. <laughs> that should be that should be my providence, not yours. Right. But, um, the, uh, you know, I, I'll come up with an idea and I just can't let it go. You know? Yeah. I would, I would, uh, the, the two new projects we've come up with uh, are in their infancy. So I'm, I'm a little leery about giving away details, but I can just say it's like, you know, when, when I came up with it, I was like, oh my God, why did no one else think about this before? Nice. It's like you, you put two elements together, right? Mm-hmm. It's like I got chocolate and peanut butter. Oh God, nobody wait, you know? And I stole that from Quentin Tarantino. I've seen that joke a lot of places. Same analogy once about you know Reese's. You know, I've seen that joke a lot of places, but it's a good. It's I mean, but it works because it's like yeah, someone had to do this now super logical thing first. Someone had to do it, and yeah, may as well be you, right? And hopefully, although I have to say, everybody thinks things are new. This in the true. movie business, and and it, it, it it's funny because once you, you know, I'm a movie nut, and I watch all kinds of movies, uh, good, bad, and indifferent, and <laughs> uh, I like to watch movies from going back to the infancy of the business. And it's amazing to me how many times I'll just I'll be watching an old movie I've never seen before, and I'll see a scene or a line of dialogue or a gag, and I'll be going. Oh my God! That's where those guys that made Indiana Jones stole this. They stole this gag, <laughs> or, or you know what? I that happens all the time. That there's really nothing new. It's like no. somebody saw it in a movie from a million years ago and says, "Oh, we'll use that in our picture." So um, I'm trying to think of an example of the, uh, um, you know, like uh, Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible, the original one. You know how he suspended down. And he goes into like CIA's brain trust mm-hmm. with the thing from the ceiling. That was from an old uh, Peter Ustinov crime huh. movie from the 60s. They did the same gag. Interesting. It, I mean, it, it, it drives me nuts sometimes. <laughs> you're right, though. There, I mean, there should be a police to this, yeah. Oh yeah, I think it's 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 fun sometimes to see jokes coming coming around again. Though it's 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 fun to see those things referenced, especially when like you like you you'll get the reference. It's like oh, I know where, what inspired you now. I can see where what you watched. I know how you came to this conclusion where you thought this was a good idea because I saw it too. <laughs> yeah. It works out well, but um, I'm getting I'm getting up on my time limit with you, so I wanna I wanna let you go so that you can go have a good productive day. Okay. Um, I yes, I I have a lot to do. I need to yes. catch stray cats in my backyard and take them in to get fixed, so Aww. I can re-release them in my backyard. TNR, TNR, TNR. Yeah, but that's yeah. a good thing. Speaking of good things to do, I mean that's, that's good for your community. That's the bulk of my Thanksgiving, and I'm going to build a zip line. The kids want a zip line for Christmas. 
Oh my god, that sounds like so much fun. I, I also want a zip line for Christmas. We have a, we have a big backyard, so Into it. we're going to rig a zip line for the kids. So that's my holiday experience. Okay, so do you have a last question or one anything at all that we can end on a at least keep it back on Titanic? For- mm. What is your favorite line of the movie? In Titanic? Yeah. Oh, that Russian babe, anesthesia. I, did get to- I, I guess I'm king of the world. I don't really know that I have a favorite line. I like the movie. I like the whole movie. Um, I think one of my here's a, one of my favorite bits is uh, I can't remember the the rich guy's name. Uh, Aster. Uh huh. Aster. I think it was Aster. Which one was the one? He they put a life belt on him and he hated it. So he went down, he took off his life belt, he put on, he and his butler put on their dress Guggenheim. for dinner. Guggenheim, thank there you. There we go. And Guggenheim gave, gives his, supposedly, gave his life belt to like a third-class woman or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, when the steward that had tried to get him into the thing walks past him again, and he goes, what, why aren't you wearing your life belt? And Guggenheim said, you know, I, I want my wife to, to know that we dressed our best and we're prepared to go down like gentlemen. Mm-hmm. And that's that's supposedly a direct quote, right? Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> Jim comes up with this little aside where he goes, uh, but I would like a brandy. Yes. <laughs> very, very appropriate. I think that would be me. You know what I mean? The plane crashing. Excuse me, miss, is the bar open? It better be. Yeah, exactly. On the way All down. Right, so, well, Alexa, thank you so much for having me on your show. Thank you for coming on. I hope that we run into each other in person again soon. I will keep you abreast of Texas roller derby stuff. But Please do. Please I will. put me on the roller derby uh, attention list. I would like I will. that. And awesome. if I, if I, next time I get an excuse to come down to Austin, I'll, I'll ring your bell. Yeah, let me know. But uh, happy holidays, and I'll talk to you s- hopefully soon. <laughs> okay, happy Thanksgiving. You Take too. care. Bye. Bye-bye. Titanic Talkline was created and produced by me, Alexia. Be sure to keep up with the show on all the social medias at Titanic Talkline on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That is all one word, Titanic Talkline, T-I-T-A-N-I-C-T-A-L-K-L-I-N-E. If you want to get in touch, be on the show, sponsor the show, or have a question or anything you want to tell me, send me an email at Titanic Talkline, again, all one word, at gmail.com. That's Titanic Talkline at gmail.com. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Bye!